Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we bring you insights into film, television, video and so much more. Whether it's online or VR, whatever your canvas. Today I'm really pleased to welcome Aaron Coverett onto the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me. So Aaron, I met you on Twitter and I was just blown away with your work and the episode <laughs> with Ryan Summers, I gave you a bit of a shout out because I was just like, yeah, you're, you're killing it, man. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. Aaron, do you want to just tell everybody in a few minutes where you're at now and what sort of work you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm actually, I'm located in New York now, but I'm originally uh, born and raised from Michigan. And uh, just kind of, I'm still fresh in the field, actually. I'm, I'm still a bit hungry. I've been uh, graduated for about eight months now, eight or nine months. Uh, so I'm, I'm still kind of just getting a, getting a, la- a sense of the layout, I would say. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, I, uh, I started as a student in Grand Rapids, uh, focused in graphic design and uh, digital media, and kind of from there just pursued all these like, little side interests uh, and internships, et cetera, and sort of landed uh, eventually at uh, Stink Studios, which is where I'm at now, as a motion designer. This show, I really want it to be open to the whole wide industry, whether you're a long-time professional or you're just starting out or maybe you've just started studying, whether you're a graduate, whatever. So I was really keen to get you on, Aaron, because I think you'd have a fresh perspective of someone who's just come into the industry. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great idea. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've listened to a few episodes prior of this of the show and I think it's great and uh yeah I mean if there's any unique perspective I can offer I'm I'm certainly uh glad and excited to you actually had a couple of internships well a few internships actually and I was pretty impressed to see um one of those came from a piece of work that you did as a student that was the Game of Thrones oh yeah <laughs> how do you say is it Winalda packaging uh when all the packaging yeah yeah it was a uh it was an interesting experience um so because i i was in a graphic design program there wasn't really uh a tool set in place or a means of learning 3d which was kind of this side interest that i had been growing uh collectively over the past few years and um ultimately i i, I took this class called package design which was was I think primarily focused more on uh, a two D uh, print aspect of of that particular field, and um, I've always kind of tried to find that unique way to approach something. And in this case, for me, uh, having albeit at the time a limited uh, skill set, but a skill set nonetheless uh, with three D, I kind of it just made a lot of sense. And so basically, what happened was uh, in this class there was a a local company called Winalda that that approached this uh, our package design class uh, with sort of like a brief. I, I, they probably partnered through the school in some way, but basically the the idea was we're going to show you guys our current clients. They they specialized in like uh, like creating the box art for different movies and and, and uh, like limited edition Blu-ray bundles and stuff like that. And so they came to our classroom and kind of gave us the the spiel on what uh, their uh, their current jobs were with this uh, sort of idea that we'll pick one winner and it'll be this Willy Wonka golden ticket opportunity to kind of come in and be an intern. 
And uh, at the time, gosh, it was it was a few years ago now, but at the time it was uh, the Avengers and Game of Thrones. I think were the two different jobs that they were that they were working on. And um, I I was a fan of uh, the Avengers at the time. I hadn't really seen too much Game of Thrones, so it was a good opportunity for me to do something a little different and also watch binge watch Game of Thrones and call that research. So that was a. Uh, <laughs> That was definitely a fun opportunity, especially as a college kid. But um, but yeah, so having decided on that, um, I kind of set forward, and I was really really inspired by the main titles, obviously for that show. It's such a an iconic uh, uh, animation sequence. Yeah. And um, even before kind of identifying as a motion designer in any sense, I was always sort of just drawn to that without even like being a huge fan of the show at, at first. And so with that in mind, that was sort of like the the, the diving board for me to jump off of and. Um, ultimately what I ended up doing was kind of, uh, prototyping and concepting this, this actual physical package of what they would, uh, basically print and have the, the product in. And it was kind of hard to explain, but it's, it's, um, basically it's imitating the look of the map that's kind of being flown over and explored in this title sequence. Um, but what I did kind of as the additional layer, I, I did two things. One is that I 3D modeled the entire thing, which allowed me to then 3D print it. So the, the prototype that I gave them was actually a 3D printed uh, uh, physical object. But then the, the, the kind of thing that really won them over and what ended up proving very successful for me was, was sort of uh, implementing that into my own take on that main title sequence. And so it has the same track and everything. And, you know, obviously I, I was looking at and referencing camera movements and everything, but it, uh, ultimately it, it, I'm pretty happy with how it looks even, even a few years later. Um, and that really allowed me kind of, yeah, they, they, they picked it. And so that was kind of my, my, op- my, my golden opportunity, I guess, into that internship. And it lasted for a few months. It was a great opportunity. At the end, I kind of learned that I didn't want to do pro- uh, package design, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it was a kind of a, another step in on the, on that journey towards uh, being a motion designer. I think it's quite interesting how the internships work. Is that something that all students had exposure to, or is it just really if you're winning a competition like that? My my personal experience, I I can't advocate enough for them. I think that I learned more not not to in any way dis my education, but I, I definitely learned. I think. Uh, I gained experiences that I wouldn't have gained in the classroom in the internships that I had. So that said, um, in my particular uh, study, I think we were required by your graduation date to have had at least one internship Um, with the idea that if you have it later in your in your journey, you would you would hopefully transition into being a full time employee at that company. Yeah. Um, But what I what I had sort of set out to do fairly early, actually, I, I think the summer after my, my freshman year. So my first year in college, uh, I tried to start applying and getting into places and, uh, climbing that ladder, I guess, or at least getting on the ladder, I would say as, as soon as possible. Um, and what that meant for me was I think by the time I graduated, I I had completed four different internships. And one thing that was, uh, really important to me is that I, I deliberately chose each to be in a, in a different, uh, part of the field, uh, so the first one being uh, at a publishing company and the second one being at a more traditional ad agency, the third being at this this package design company that we just spoke about, and then the, the fourth ultimately being Stink Studios, which is actually where I'm at now full time. So what sort of work is Stink Studios doing? Stink Studios. So Okay, so uh, we – the the of- official uh, – 
classification, I guess, is that we are a creative studio. Um, I think historically speaking, most of our bread and butter comes from interactive content. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the studio has been around for, I don't know how many years now exactly, but, uh, I think that's really what kind of lifted it off the ground and it's still what makes up a large part of our portfolio. That said, I would, uh, say that, uh, that, that palette is definitely expanding, especially in this past year, we've, we've shifted to take on more content production as well. Um, that's something even, even when I was an intern a year and a half, two years ago, I think what I noticed a lot of the time was we'd take on jobs where we were building this site and sort of like the framework that all of this content was living within. But a lot of the times we would, we would rely on a third or party, a third party or another production company to help kind of assist in that. And, uh, what I think in this past year, uh, has happened is we're, we're shifting to try to take on more of that content production roles in house. And a large uh, sort of commitment to that is our actually recent move. Uh, actually, it's next week, so it's very soon. We're, we're moving into a new space um, that's like twice the size. And I'm, I'm super excited. It's one of the motion designers there because there's going to be so much stuff to play with. Now we've got like a, an in-house editing booth, uh, recording studio, photography studio, all that. Whereas right now, I think the space we're in is great, but with... 50 or 50 people or so, I think in house, uh, we've definitely kind of outgrown it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Sounds awesome. Like a new playground of experimentation. Definitely. And it's something like, I think the, the general vibe right now at the office is pretty excited. I think it's, it's this like weird opportunity where it almost feels like you're starting a new job, but you get to do that with the same people. And yeah. the culture is so great that I think that's one of the things that keeps people here is, is the, the culture and the coworkers that you're going to have. So being able to keep that, but also kind of be reinvigorated with sort of a new atmosphere is I think going to be really positive. Well, uh, good luck with the move. I know Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a bit of a hassle, but great once you've settled in. Totally. What I noticed about your work following you on Twitter is um, you've got a mix of motion design, but also 3D with Cinema 4D, Houdini, you're rendering with Octane. Things that are really important in your work, it looks like a texturing and lighting and rendering and simulations play a big part as well. So these these experiments, these pieces of work that you've kind of put into a reel as a collection of different experiments and pieces, what is it that drew you to create those? Were they um, experimental for yourself? Or were they part of um, the the course that you're doing, or were they part of a role at any of these companies? Yeah, um, no, I think I think I, I know the video you're referring to. Yeah, it. Um, I've been meaning to update it also, but no, I, I'm definitely drawn to just like the experimental, weird stuff. I see. It, I, I'm always looking at what's the next shiny tool that I can I can pick up. A lot of these things actually, um, I don't necessarily do on a daily basis at Stink. Um, I think with Stink, there's a there's a greater focus on like the 2D motion aspect. But I also get to flex my muscles when it comes to 3D stuff uh, in regards to like WebGL interactive projects. So I don't I don't post uh, as frequently about that kind of stuff on my my social media feeds. But so the the stuff that most people see, I think, with like the Houdini Sims and the Octane and everything like that. That's that's usually like I get home from the office and I kind of just want to make something different. Yeah. Um. And so that's I think a result of what you're seeing there. And I think that's that's really always been the case. I mean, with school, I went to I was a, I was a graphic design student. Uh, that was watching Grayscale Gorilla and video co-pilot tutorials at like three in the morning after class. Um, and with every internship too, I always 
tried to find that unique uh, thing that I could bring to whatever project I was on. And it just so happened because of the type of companies that I've worked at and the projects that I've taken on, uh, motion, specifically in regards to like 3D stuff, was always sort of um, uh, underrepresented, I would say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with these, back to these experiments and stuff. Yeah, I think it, it just stems from being like, overly curious all the time. I mean, I, I think back to like in high school, it was like, I knew I wanted to be an artist. I didn't really know what that looked like. So I was doing like figure drawing, uh, at like a downtown studio, uh, every, every week. And, um, yeah, it kind of, once I realized that I wanted to focus more on design and 3d and computer stuff, it kind of pivoted. But I think that that idea of like, I don't know the, the feeling I get when I'm like in substance painter and stuff like that is like the same feeling that I was getting five, six years ago when I was doing figure drawing. So it's, it's just this like kind of hard thing to describe, but <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, I think, I think anyone that you've had on the show probably uh, can speak to it as well. Yeah. It's something that I've felt myself as well. And I think that this is something that happens in the space of motion design that it's a collection of lots of different disciplines that you're bringing together and um, utilizing at different times with different weights, depending on the type of work you're doing or the project. And that's the exciting part of motion design is that you can do 2D or 3D or illustration or film or cut out or stop motion or whatever you want to do. And so part of it is this exploration of all these different skill sets and gaining this knowledge to be able to pull it into your work when you do need to use it. I think that um, coming into the industry now, it's been really well defined. When I graduated, you know, almost a couple of decades ago, (laughs) it was basically – it's it's almost like you, you hear that old adage of uh, you know you want to get a, a a good solid job and so and a good solid job back in the day was to become a specialist and really deep dive and you know you'd be set for life and um, felt kind of bad that I had all this curiosity into all these different things and I wasn't really putting a hundred percent into it. one that I was doing a mixed bag and maybe becoming a little bit weak. But as it turned out, that's what the industry has turned into where the motion design roles does really need you to utilize all your knowledge and skill sets for a variety of different roles. Yeah, I think I think the the whole generalist versus like jack of all trades, like specialist argument is something I've definitely heard before and uh definitely something that's been on my mind and I, I totally agree with you. I think especially in my experience at a company like Stink where I'm I'm part of such a small in-house motion team. It's you know, it's really it's me and one other person that are full time. We kind of we bring in freelancers to scale up when when need be, but uh largely it's the two of us and what that meant for me uh was just being able to get my hands on really anything that the studio has to offer and to mm-hmm. be frank at times things that I probably shouldn't have my hands on with under a year of experience, but um, you know, I think those are the opportunities that have allowed me to grow, I think, faster than I had anticipated. Yeah. Um, and to be able to kind of meet that, that expectation, um, in ways that I guess I hadn't expected. So, yeah. Trial by fire and jumping in the deep end. <laughs> Sink or swim, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yo, man, I, especially with Stink, there's, there's a funny story behind, um, how I kind of started here. I mean, as, as a student, I reached out, it was, it was 
going into my senior year, it was this, this, I guess the summer of my junior year. Um, and I got the internship and for one reason or another, there was, there was some scheduling conflicts and various issues, but I I knew coming in as an intern that it was going to be a small department. What I didn't know though, and no one could have anticipated was that there was kind of a roster, uh, change like during my hiring process. So the people that had actually interviewed me uh, ended up leaving the company prior to me getting there. And so I don't know, long story short, basically I got there as an intern and uh, shortly after arriving, I was actually the only uh, motion designer in house for a period of time, um, which was obviously terrifying uh, upon your first visit. But I remember very specifically that uh, the creative director actually pulled me aside and was like, uh, you know, this, this may sound, this may seem terrifying, but like, it's going to be the best opportunity, uh, you could have asked for it. Come to me if you're overwhelmed, of course, but like, otherwise, like you're going to get to work on stuff that you, like you would have never been able to. And that ended up proving very true. And it's actually why I came back was, uh, just the, the level of trust and responsibility I was given as an intern, um, was was insane. I mean, there was this big project, uh, which still to this day, I find new reasons to kind of gain appreciation for, which was uh, for our, the client was Google. Um, and they basically it was the summer of two years ago, I believe uh, it was to celebrate the uh, National Park Service here in America turning 100 years old. And to do that, uh, they partnered with the actual Park Service uh, to create this sort of like interactive uh experience where you could tour the the hidden worlds of the national parks. And so basically what we did is we had a, we had a production team that we worked with that went out to five of uh, the nation's different national parks. I mean, it was Hawaii, uh, Kenai Fjords, uh, Carlsbad Caverns, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they basically shot a bunch of like 16 by nine content that were basically like they, they were these hero videos that would sort of introduce you to the experience. But then they also, shot a lot of 360 video, which was really interesting because that allowed us then on our end to stitch together this really cool experience where in, in browser, you basically arrive as a user, you'd watch one of these beautiful videos that was shot and then be sort of like plopped into this scene where you are actually like in a 360 web container that you're clicking through the content and you're sort of navigating through these parks yourself um, and, uh, being the sole motion designer on that, we, we had some freelance help as well, but, uh, in terms of in-house being the only motion designer on the job, I I think it was terrifying, but it was also so exciting and so much, uh, different aspects of the job that I had not anticipated. It, It was ultimately, I think the first time that I referred to myself as a motion designer and, uh, I haven't stopped since then, but there was also this aspect of uh, WebGL uh, components that we built throughout that was really, really cool. There was one in particular with the Carlsbad Cavern. Basically, every park had a different story that we wanted to tell. And at this particular park, it's all about uh, there's this this colony of bats that the the mother bats actually fly into uh, these caves to have their their babies, which actually are called bat pups. So I, I became a bat expert by the end of this project. <laughs> uh, but they have, their, they have their pups in these caverns. And then once everyone's born, um, they actually all fly out together for their first hunt. And it's this like enormous horde of like, I can't remember the number, but I mean, thousands and thousands of bats. And so our content team actually went down there and filmed this event happening. And we knew that we wanted to implement that story into this experience. And so what we ended up uh, doing was 
creating this WebGL, like sort of like it's like an interactive game within the browser that you can play on desktop or phone or whatever you're accessing it from. And basically what it what it allows you to do is there's there's this point where you're standing outside the cave and you click on this this module that brings you into the experience. And once that happens, you are you're transported into the perspective of the mother bat. And so you're flying around in this cave um, and you're clicking your, your mouse, or you're tapping the screen to send out like echolocation pulses. And basically it was, it was a way of us explaining to you how they use echolocation and sonar to identify their specific bat pup in a sea of thousands of others. And like, because yeah. there's like a unique transmission between the two and how they hunt and et cetera. And so it was a really crazy experience because I had never worked on anything close to that. Like 3d was one thing, but interactive 3d was a whole nother world to me. And so like r- learning how to rig and uh, texture and light all within like a three JS editor. And then um, also what we found out halfway through was uh, that we really sort of needed like a transition video to play primarily to actually mask the fact that we had to load this massive scene uh, while you were clicking, but also to help explain to the, to the user that you, Hey, like you were standing outside of this cave. Now you are a bat. And so that was to me the most fun experience I had on the entire project, because what it meant was taking all of these sort of, you know, very low poly optimized assets and actually creating a high fidelity, uh, you know, as, as cinematic as it could be at the time, uh, quality render uh, that would play for, I mean, it, to be honest, it was like four or five seconds, but I, I probably spent <laughs> close to two months, I think, nonstop working on this thing. I mean, learning like fur dynamics and wind dynamics, how to rig it properly, all, all that. And uh, it's funny, you know, you like, I remember like showing my parents for the first time and like they had known going in that I'd spent so much time over the summer months working on it. And like, I remember hitting play and my dad was like, it was four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's the industry I'm going into, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, could, could be a lot, lot worse. I, I saw, oh, of course. <laughs> I saw that bat and, um, I really loved the, um, subsurface scattering on the skin. It looked really, really beautiful with the background yeah. that you had on it. I mean, at the time, you know, like I'll, I guess to paint a picture of how much I was winging this, <laughs> it was before. So I was still, I rendered that whole thing on a MacBook. Like I didn't have oh, a really? souped up PC or anything like that. I had actually been like so deep into these like eGPU forums and stuff. And basically I had found a way to like rig together this, like I had a Titan car, uh, graphics card, like hooked up to like a, an Ikishio like eGPU closure that like then plugged into the laptop and you had to like boot it up a certain way and like edit all these kernel settings. And like, it was the hackiest thing ever. And I was terrified that I was going to like explode my laptop at any point. But uh, in the end, it looked like this, like it just looked like a dangerous, like explosive device underneath my desk the entire summer. Um, so it was just, it was so many funny little like quirks and, and like, like production pipeline woes that I was learning for the first time and didn't really have too much, uh, of a resource to consult with. So I was kind of like in the deep end myself and I think, you know, I'm better for it now, but at the time there's just, there's a lot of like funny stories to be told. I've, I've seen, um, some impressive, uh, machines, on Twitter and things with uh, the guts all <laughs> hanging out and multiple cards. Yeah, that's all what it around. was. Yeah. That was what it was. All these loose wires everywhere, like dust getting in it. I, it <laughs> gives me shivers now thinking about it. And you know, I've been on windows for at least a year and I'm never going back. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, it's been about a year and a half. Got, oh, it might be even two years, but um, I'm looking forward to updating all the graphics cards and not having to buy a whole new machine. So that's going to be a good thing. <laughs> totally, it's weird. There, there was. I mean, I don't know. It seemed like in the past year there was there was a moment where that that kind of that argument switched. It, it switched over. I've seen so many people now swearing off Apple and yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's there's possibilities down the road. I know they've promised various products that may win people back, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that that shift happen so kind of quickly. It didn't feel as quick to me. It felt like a lot of senior people that I was talking to, it was, uh, they knew that this, the decision had been made for them. And it's just like when they were prepared to jump. And, oh, um, okay. and so for me, it was a couple of years ago when I just could obviously see that the Mac Pro was not coming. It hadn't yeah. been announced. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not waiting any longer. If it was going to be announced, it would be this time. And then it was a good eight months after that before they did the letter to the industry saying, no, we're not leaving you out to dry. We really care. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that's epic for Apple to do that. Yeah, you totally. Know. <laughs> so things must be bad. But I, yeah, even like um, a few months ago, some people that I was talking to were like, okay, just making the switch now. I'm like, wow, that, that took a while to, to get yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I will say like at a company like where I'm at now, it, it, it's still, especially with like design and, and, and yeah. development and stuff like that, it still very much is, for various reasons, a, a Mac office. In fact, yeah. I think the motion department is the only one with Windows, but I'm slowly kind of winning people over a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same same with us. You know, we got 260 staff and when I started, that was like over a decade ago, it was this transition from PC to Mac and, and, and roles where um, account services and things like that had all been on PC. Now, now it's the other way around. Everyone's on Mac and the motion department to the first to jump <laughs> and all, all boots and all into PC. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Just touching on that bat sim, uh, what I really liked is looking at the dust particles really felt like that they were reacting to the movement of the wings was that um was that a sim as well or was that just no, a nice comp? i get this i get this all the time it was just footage that i found that i comped in nice it works man <laughs> yeah it was, a, it was a, a quick little fix but yeah i mean that particular render i think that you're referring to was was a really pivotal moment i think um for the project and specifically for, I think my, my confidence going in, you know, I mentioned like being the only one, uh, working on this stuff at the time, there was a lot of self doubt because I didn't have someone sitting next to me that I could ask, uh, you know, is, is this how you, you add particles correctly? Like I didn't know X particles at the time or et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I, I vividly remember this, this moment where I think that was like thrown in without even my knowledge to this sort of like, impromptu like in progress pitch deck just to show the content uh, and creative team like a review of where we're at with things and and I remember like after that meeting which I wasn't even in I had all of these people like art directors and creative directors coming up to me like shocked and like I didn't understand or, or expect that I was working on that I guess and so that was a real like vote of confidence for me and I had realized that at that point like what I was doing was working and so I think it, it took off a little bit of pressure from there on out. That's awesome to hear. Um, yeah, you need you need that little boost of um, confidence every once in a while, just to a, a bit of recognition to keep on trucking because there's so many hours and so much effort that goes into it. That feels like your own 
you're in your own headspace, your own void. Yeah, no, I think, and that's something I I appreciate even more now, I would say, especially with this, like, personal stuff that I'm doing outside of work. I mean, it's tough to manage that balance, and, you know, you want to continue working on these these large projects, and the ambitions keep growing, and what I've learned is that, like, I used to fight this temptation of, like, not wanting to post work-in-progress stuff because you don't want to, like, spoil the <laughs> the surprise at the end when it's this completed project, but it's, what I've found is that sometimes you do, like, you need that little bit of like a boost. And I mean, like today I did this where I, I posted something that I've been working on for months now and had kind of like kept to myself and uh, I, I was getting was, burnt out from it. Yeah. Was that the Kingston Thorpe ad yeah. station image? Yeah, that's epic. It's so detailed, <laughs> man. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's it's something that I've been working on since, gosh, I started it last fall doing at least prep work. I, I think I've, I've been kind of anticipating and like doing these little experiments and little tests. And yeah, it was around like last fall where I kind of asked myself like, you know, what, what can I do that's a little bit bigger, something, something yeah. more. And so uh, basically I kind of just... Uh, got really, really inspired by the area around me. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm born and raised in Michigan. So moving to New York for the first time was a bit of a culture shock. And it's still today, after all these months, I'll, I'll, going for a walk is just like, you're, it looks like you're looking at an Archelect feed at any point. And um, yeah, so I just like started to kind of piece together like, oh, that, that was a cool looking trash can. I want to I wanna go home and model that trash can and look at all those air conditioners over there and stuff like that. And so I think that kind of, started this idea where I just wanted to build something that allowed me to like just have a playground of different props and and assets and tools to build. And, um, so yeah, basically I just started like last fall working on a a Brooklyn inspired scene, just anything that I could see on my commute every morning, I would kind of like write down to myself and take mental notes of, and that was a really cool texture. I got to come back to that. And there's been some funny, uh, weird encounters of me, like, photographing like subway stations and stuff like that. And it just like, uh, like people walking by me will get so confused at what I'm, I'm sure it looks so strange at what I'm doing. And I mean, gosh, the last week, I think I, I hadn't really considered this and this was actually really scary was I went out and I've been like doing a lot of like, you know, these urban like graffiti type environments. And so I needed some like graffiti references. And so I went out and started like photographing some graffiti around my neighborhood and, didn't really think about the fact that some of these tags could be gang affiliated and <laughs> yeah. I was confronted very quickly, uh, which was, which was kind of terrifying. And I haven't, I haven't attempted this since I may, I may, uh, be creating my own graffiti things without too much inspiration. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been kind of coming together for a while now. Um, but I, I had reached a point where I needed like a break. I needed a month off from it cause I couldn't, stop thinking about it. I couldn't escape it because I chose to model the one thing that I see and I have to look at an hour every morning when I'm going to work and an hour when I'm coming home. There was just no escape from this thing. And so uh, I started to kind of like despise it and and lose motivation and momentum. And so, yeah, ultimately I took a break, um, kind of started like that, that flame rekindled for whatever reason. And then I posted something today or last night and like that was enough of like a creative like boost. It's like now I'm, I'm reinvigorated, which part of me feels like kind of guilty of like, it's not all about likes and retweets and et cetera. But, but sometimes it's that recognition from your peers yeah. more than anything else that just kind of like, is a, like it just reaffirms like what you're onto something. So you might as well see it through. 
knowing that you are getting that response that you're on the right path, that others are digging it, you know, like, um, yeah, you don't want to feel like you're looking, going out for the um, most number of likes that you can get, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's hard to work in a vacuum, which is something that I really wanted to talk to you about in a second, but just touching on that particular piece. What I thought was really amazing is, you know, the amount of modeling and texturing in the, in the scenes, crazy, but the light, you've <laughs> really nailed the light, man. Like um, from the subway, that warm light that's bouncing off the concrete walls yeah. and then that blue light that's coming through um, the handrail and the bike, um, that light that's casting shadows as well and that mix of the blues and the, and, the, and the warm, but also all the reflections of little details oh. along the concrete is really nice thank you so much to be honest it's i think uh aside from uv unwrapping lighting is still the most frustrating aspect for me of the process (laughs) i mean in the end i think i'm happy with the results that i get but it's it's usually after several attempts of banging my head against a keyboard so (laughs) it means a lot and i appreciate that that's to you the part that stands out a lot so thank you (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, it's part of the creative process. So. <laughs> yeah, getting a of few uh, key indents in the forehead. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, you got into a role where you're on your own. Uh, it really resonated with me because that's what happened where I went from a post production facility after I had some experience into an agency, and I was doing everything on my own. But luckily, there was some strong resources for me to gain some education. I've talked on previous shows about FX PhD and everything else. Now, the wealth of knowledge that's available, oh gosh, whether it's from yes. Grayscale or FX PhD or, or Linda or Pluralsight, you know, yeah. so much. But also the wealth of communities to support just like you were working with other people, they might be the next room, but they might actually be in the next country. Yeah. What sort of uh, resources have you utilized when you've been working and also communities to support you through it as well? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question and a great like way to phrase it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think personally it feels like I owe so much to that because – I feel so grateful. I think the only reason I was was able to major in something like graphic design, um, but still graduate with uh, technical proficiency in 3D and, and all of these things that I wasn't going to class for in any way, was because of this this like insanely beneficial and huge and generous community that exists online and. Yeah, I mean, you, you named like the big ones, especially starting out, I think like Grayscale and Video Copilot. I still go back to like the same, like how to add wiggle to a shape in After Effects tutorial from Andrew Kramer every once in a while. There's like those weird things like in your like uh, moments where you can't remember something that you like, you, you pull up a Video Copilot tutorial. Yeah, but, totally. but yeah, I think that, 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 um, those resources are still there. I think they've, they've changed slightly for me in that they've become more focused on like forums and communities. I mean, I know there's, there's a few Slack channels that I'm part of like the motion design. I think John Dickinson with motion works has a, like a modeling Slack group that he's a part of. Um, and I, I know like, uh, so one of the, one of the tools that I, I use and I, Oh, so much too. I would say with with my work has been uh, substance and all all the tools that algorithmic puts out. Um, and so they've actually 
developed quite a, a, a nice group on their, they have a discord channel. I think that, that, uh, I got added to as like a beta tester and basically I've, I've met a few people through that. And so there's just all of these weird, like subgroups in Slack and discord and, uh, I'm forgetting some, but even just Twitter in general, I have so many messages and conversations from people that I've never met in person, but, you know, have this, this sort of connection with that I'm able to kind of trade secrets with and all of that. And also like, now that I say that, like, I think, I think the days of holding on to knowledge because it's like this, like intellectual property that makes you valuable. I, I, to be honest, I think it's bullshit. (laughs) there's value to it of course but like in the long run that's not going to help you it's not going to help anyone else like i'd rather be remembered for for helping someone else get further along and then you know repaying that debt in some some other way Um, but also just being known as someone who helps rather than like keeping it to yourself i owe where i'm at to the people that chose to help me and you know, I, I haven't really dove into tutorials or any any of that sort of thing yet, but it's something I would like to be able to do one day and, and to inspire others to kind of uh, pick up tools the way that I was inspired. So awesome to hear. I feel exactly the same way. I've said it on the show a lot of times. I've worked with people, and it's been a while since it's happened, that would hoard information. And I think actually it does hurt them. It, it means that their mindset is closed off, yeah. that they are holding on to something that they, that is actually not even there. Knowledge is not this thing that should be held on to. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you open yourself up and you move forward and you have that confidence within yourself to be able to grow and to rise to any challenge. That's more empowering. So the more you give, the more you get back. So, yeah. Totally. Um, John Dickinson I'll have to check out that Slack group. He's a past guest as well. He's been on the show. Oh, he has. That's yeah. funny. I'll have to go back and listen. I, I'm a I'm a relatively new listener, so I have to kind of go through your catalog still. There's pretty epic back catalog, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Slack groups are awesome. We've got one. You'll have to um, join our Slack group. I'll send you of a Of course. Link, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, John is great. I've, uh, I've sorry, just a quick call out with him, I guess. I'll, I'll definitely have to go back and listen. But um, one of the questions I get all of the time with the substance painter work that I do, I mean, such a large component of, of getting a model into substance painter is having it properly uh, UV unwrapped. And that's, yeah. that's something I, I cannot do <laughs> very well. <laughs> I think that's something that um, Cinema 4D doesn't do very well. <laughs> yeah, totally. I actually, I actually use 3D code and that's something I can recommend, uh, for sure. Uh, usually what happens is I kind of succumb to just using like the auto tools that it has and it gets the job done for me, but I wouldn't, uh, be comfortable showing it off to anyone by any means. I'm sure it's, it's a messy UV at best, but, I will say anytime someone asks me like, how are you doing your UVs, man? This is so good. Like I always just point them to John's stuff because he's done a few tutorials. I think he's getting ready maybe to do a larger course. And I really hope he does because he's tackled that subject better than anyone else that I've seen specifically for the pipeline that uh, so many people like in the motion design community are using now. That's such a lovely man too. Um, Not only was on the show, but uh, was speaking at NodeFest in Melbourne last year. So got to catch up with him and have a few drinks and looking forward to seeing him again this year. Hopefully he's there this year. A great lineup actually. Um, Yeah. um, EJ is going to be flying over from over to Melbourne and uh, talking at Node this year, which will be great. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. Yeah, man. So um, before we go into the pro video picks, I've got one question. How, as a graduate, do you survive in New York? 
You know, it, it's it's a good question. It's interesting. I, I'm going to try to make sure I don't sound bitter in any way because I I just started paying my uh, my student debt loans, so oh, there ouch. may be a bit of bitterness <laughs> in my in my voice. Um, no, I mean. I think it, it. I think it works. Um, I think you have to shift your your expectations a little bit. The cost of living is is as bad as they as they say. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely comfortable enough. You know, I mean, at times it feels like I'm maybe living. Uh, I'm, I'm worse off than I than I was as a student, but that's also because in Michigan it's like four hundred dollars a month for rent, and here it's like e- easily <laughs> uh, over a grand. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's the financial aspect to manage, of course, but, um, you know, I think I was always, I've always been the type of person to just like whatever moment I'm in, I'm always looking two steps ahead, sometimes to a fault. But I I specifically remember like in college reaching this point where, uh, as, as I was nearing the end of it, like wanting something just, just more, more energy, more, more like just stuff going on and you don't get that too much. Of course you do wherever you're at, but but in a place like where I was at in Michigan, it was it was a little bit tough. And so moving here to New York, that's definitely something that's that's just been present so much more. And I mean, building connections, it's so much easier here where the industry is at to like reach yeah. out to someone and grab drinks like on a Wednesday night with someone that you really look up to. And I mean, I, I remember Beeple uh, came in, Mike Winkleman came in, uh, had like a, an exhibit actually in, in the office building where my my company's at. And so I was able to just like literally pop downstairs and grab drinks with him. And nice. that was such a cool moment, like having grown up, uh, like through college, having that as like an inspiration to get in, like so many other yeah. people starting out, you know, you look at like Mike's every day and that's just such a big thing. So like getting to shake his hand and like talk to him a little bit was, was a big moment. That was a couple of months ago. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. He sounds like an awesome guy. Um, a bit of, <laughs> he is, yeah. he's so funny. He's, he's, yeah. he's a really good guy. And now it's time for the pro video picks. So first up, what would be your pro video pick for everyone? Okay, well, I've been I've been talking about Substance Painter quite a bit, so I would feel bad if I didn't mention uh, this week. Actually, there was a new plugin released by a man named Emmanuel Flores. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he, I think he's had this tool out for a, a little while now. Um, basically, the idea. So one of the sort of quirks with Substance Painter is um, most third-party engines, whether it's Redshift or V-Ray or even, I mean, the real-time stuff, Unreal, Unity, etc., um, it has a lot of, like, pre-composed output settings for that. So it, it knows how to output the correct normal maps, the correct everything for those engines for whatever reason, though, specifically with Cinema 40 and Octane, that has not existed. And so there's been a plethora of tutorials and proposed solutions out there. I've What's worked for me in the past is creating this sort of like custom configuration of what I know works uh, and, and gets the most consistent results. But but uh, basically, this uh, Emmanuel had had a has had a plugin out for a little while now um, that supports basically a live link bridge between Painter and whatever tool you're using. Uh, just this week, though, he released support for Octane and Cinema 40, uh, especially so. That to me, I've tested it a few times already, and it's incredible. I think it's going to completely change such an annoying part of it because what happens with Painter, especially, is you're outputting so many bitmaps, 
and and textures that all need to be replugged manually back into Octane. And uh, once that link is there, it's it's generally pretty painless after. But what this plugin does essentially is automate that entire process, and it does it in a way that I actually found in my own tests were better and more consistent than the one than the methods that I had been putting to use. So I definitely it's ten dollars. It's really cheap. Um, I I think go for it. Awesome. I um I might when you're in the Slack group I might hit you up about that one too. Yeah, of course. I Definitely. have been using Redshift lately, but with Octane four coming out, I'm really tempted to jump back straight into it. Yeah, that's a conversation, isn't it? I, I think I was listening to one of your recent episodes and you were talking uh I think with, with uh Rich, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um about that. And it's yeah, that's definitely a topic. I, I, I picked up a redshift redshift license i haven't really dug into it yet too much though i do like it um yeah but hey that's a whole show in itself really (laughs) yeah (laughs) so um following who would you like to shout out or what sites would you like or podcasts or tv shows definitely i did something a little different here i wanted to recommend something a little bit outside of this uh production topic but um something nonetheless that i i find enjoyable especially you know, in, in New York, you, you've got to deal with long commutes on trains that are mm-hmm. very uncomfortable. So anything you can kind of do to kind of uh, get away from that, I'm all for. And in this case, I wanted to recommend a podcast called Reply All. It's by uh, Gimlet Media. Um, they do like a, a bunch of different topics and stuff. But this particular podcast is all about internet culture. Um, it's pretty funny. I mean, I work at like a web company. So like there's a lot of kind of you know, inside jokes and culture that I, that I understand and relate to more. But I think for anyone there's like, they have these really funny segments with, with two, uh, two hosts and they bring in a guest who basically like, uh, they dissect really layered and complex tweets and memes and things that reference so many different cultural things happening on the web that, when you look at it at face value, it makes no sense. And they'll spend a 30 minute segment like diving into like, this is what, when they tweet this word, this is like, it's referencing a meme that was started on Reddit three years ago. And, (laughs) um, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit much, but it's also really entertaining and really funny. I do love a good podcast. Um, hence the show. So yeah, I was going to say, I I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, inspiration influence, where do you find it? Yeah. Um, so an easy one, and I feel like a lot of people out there with like 3D motion stuff are going to know this one, but Arcolect is this weird like Twitter account. Uh, I don't know. Have you, have you heard of it by any chance? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's such an interesting story behind it. Um, and it's so creepy because it just, it works so well, like regardless of the job that I've, that I'm on chances are there's a few images on the mood board that are sourced from it. And basically for anyone listening that, that doesn't know, it's, it's this, uh, basically it's an artificial intelligence, which I know is like this ugly buzzword right now, but, um, but yeah, it's this artificial intelligence that's trained to source images and automatically post them on Twitter. And basically it, it, it monitors the response from, uh, prolific users. And so like if, if, if someone with a lot of followers and a larger network likes something, it sort of picks that up and, and recognizes that that is uh, its best chance of survival on the web, if that makes sense. And so basically what this means is that you have this, like this, this curator that's being entirely driven by the community. And so, and it, it, it's scary how well it works. I mean, of course it's not for everyone. It's very subjective, but I'm shocked at how often I'm seeing images that like really resonate with me 
Um, and that added layer of knowing that it's coming from a machine to some degree is yeah. just really unsettling, but also very, very intriguing. Yeah, I had to have a look. I was following it for a while just out of interest, and I stopped. It's quite prolific, the amount of content it puts out. But yeah, it is a yeah. bit of a scary thing where it can analyze and understand potentially AI can understand what we as human find really engaging or beautiful and basically um, manipulate us by feeding right. us what we want to see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fantastic idea because it's it, what, basically what, what I see it as is it, it's attempting to define beauty, which is always this thing that like is understood to be like the core of like human nature and like what makes us human is like yeah. being able to like, define that even though you really can't and so it's it's so strange that this is doing that and for Make a lot it of people an equation. Kind of, yeah yeah really uh and that's not going to be for everyone of course but but yeah i find it interesting yeah i've always found so much inspiration from nature and the beauty of nature in new zealand pretty lucky oh my gosh i haven't been but i've i've uh i've seen quite a, a number of films at least that, yeah. that involve it and yeah but, but the um, but the basis of nature, you know, there is some um, there is science, but there's also mathematical equations. Um, you know, totally. so yeah, it, it'll be an interesting, scary um, robot world that we'll all be living in, <laughs> and the robots will be talking to each other anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, coming. Yeah, did you see that? Um, this week it came out, it was um, Google showing its new AI um, where you could get it to order a haircut or a restaurant. Oh, and yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine the mess that's going to cost for restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did really well, but it's, it was interesting how it was interjecting little, um, you know, ums and mm-hmm and things yeah. like that to make it feel more human. But I was thinking yeah. as I was watching it, so if you can use it to order, then why wouldn't you use it to take the orders? So you end up with these two AIs, and then if they know that they're <laughs> AIs because they have to say that they're an AI, and they stop talking in this human way and just do the transaction really quickly anyway. So, because why speak in English when you can just say, you know, a computer could work it out in a fraction of time. Oh, that's a fantastic point. It reminds me of like when like people hold up like two like series or like a Cortana talking to a Siri yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so weird. I um heard this great thing where um they rang up an Indian restaurant and took an order. I think it was on a radio station or something. And then they asked to repeat the order back. And then as though he was doing that, they had another restaurant and they got the guy to repeat the order. But the, the other guy thought he was making the order. So after he repeated the order, the other guy's like, um, yep, yep, that'll be uh, $57. And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> so, so they just let them like go for it, trying to figure out what was going on with them. Oh no, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, anyway, I'm getting majorly sidetracked. Um, no, 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 great pick, man, great pick. Yeah. So um, check out the website, uh, the Twitter account, and check it out. And yeah, there's going to be so many interesting things that are coming out with AI in the future. Yeah, everything. <laughs> Octane, before. Exactly, exactly. Um, if it's removing noise, I'm all for it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> inspirational video. What would you, What would be your inspirational okay. video? Okay, so this is a weird one. This is one that I've had kind of saved in this like inspiration channel on my, my Vimeo for a while now. I came across it. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce the name, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Uh, Mattis Dovier? 
Cool. Matisse, Matisse Dovier? I don't know. Um, it's it's this, this really interesting. His whole aesthetic that he's developed is basically illustration based. Um, to be honest, I don't know quite exactly how he's doing it, but I would assume they're they're hand drawn illustrations. Uh, that are animated in some way, and then uh, he's basically applying this like this dithering filter through it. Um, and I've I've seen some great plugins out there that I can recommend that I I would use to approach something like this. But basically, it's it's just these really really interesting uh, sort of like neon Tokyo type aesthetic uh, videos, but are all treated with this like one bit dithering style. So it's black and white. It's very pixelated. Um, but he's just doing it in a way that's, that's so interesting. And I've, I've attempted this style before with several things. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's, it's not just a simple like filter that you put on. You really have to kind of have this approach, uh, as a mindset from the get go, if that makes sense. I, I think in terms of like how you're lighting it and like working with negative space, knowing full well that it's not really going to be negative space because it's going to be noisy as hell with pixels and, yeah, it's just it's a really really interesting approach, and I would love to find out more about how he's doing it. Okay, might have to get him on the show and ask him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, who would you like me to have on the show? Yeah, well, now I wish I would have just thought of him. But uh, <laughs> if I if, if I was going to say someone else, uh, the person I wanted to suggest, uh, his name is Renz. He goes by Art by Renz on Twitter. I haven't been able to find his last name anywhere, so maybe he's trying to keep that a secret. But you've probably come across this stuff. It's this guy. He he is amazing at at uh, photogrammetry and scanning assets. I think most of his recognizable work is with uh, like plants and um, various foliage. But basically, he's he's kind of in my eyes redefining this whole pipeline of of uh, scanning these assets and having photoreal assets because they are based on photos. And then optimizing them to the point where he's able to work with them and run them in real time, which some games are definitely doing already. But the 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 level of of uh, quality and detail and execution that he's putting on these um, is just it's insane. I mean, it, it challenges the level of quality we're able to get with offline rendering now with with Redshift, Octane, etc. But it's running in real time in Unity and Unreal and. Yeah, that to me is a very exciting space to to keep an eye on, and I would love to hear a little bit more about his process. Awesome, man! That's a really good one. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to see where the real time game engines are at. Yeah, for me, um, using GPU rendering is such a huge step forward after using uh, CPU rendering for so long. But then to the next level where you're just art directing everything and that instant feedback is just insane. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. I somehow, and part of me is grateful, but also part of me is guilty. Somehow I missed CPU rendering. I just, I jumped straight into Octane. I didn't have to work with physical render or anything like that. I've seen it now. I've seen the buckets. Uh, yeah, it's because I, I'm old, I man. count my blessings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry if that makes you feel that way, but I don't know how I missed it. I should have probably picked it up before Octane, of course, but I was Damn like, oh, that's, that's shiny looking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, man. It's like, um, don't, yeah, don't go through the torture if you don't have to. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where can everyone find you? Where should they look? 
Yeah, I use I use Twitter mostly to post like the the latest and greatest uh, stuff. I also have a Gumroad. Um, I don't really try to sell things for profit very often. Usually, it's like if I'm if I'm making something and I, there's like an asset of it or a model that someone likes, I'll just put it up there. I, I don't I don't charge anything. I don't I'm not looking for that. It's just kind of a means to share something for me. Um, I think it's like ultimately I'd love to try doing tutorials at one point, um, and sharing knowledge, but for now that's kind of how I do it. Cool. And, uh, also Instagram. I think that's still kind of a fun one to use. And I've got a website, aaroncovret.com. Um, nothing too different there that you won't find anywhere else, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Twitter is probably the best. Wicked, wicked. We'll have those links in the show notes and a huge thanks to Matt Lloyd for doing the notes. Thank you so much, man. It's um, a pleasure to have you on part of the team and making things smooth and perfect. Uh, you make my life so easy. So thank you for doing that again. And you can follow me on Twitter at Blair Walker, the podcast at Pro Video Podcast. And we've got Facebook group and a Facebook page, but we've got the Slack group. And that's where Aaron's going to be and uh, so many others yes, like, <laughs> like Rich Nosworthy and uh, yeah, heaps of past guests and he's of passionate people in the community. So can't wait to be chatting to you in there, bro. Yes, of course. I can't wait. All recording. I've wanted to just like call you AA Ron after the. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't tell you that damn Keen Peel skit. <laughs> the last five years that has practically practically been my name <laughs> <laughs> well a a ron it's been I a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> no it's been awesome to have you on the show aaron it's been awesome man yeah thank you so much this is uh this was a great opportunity and i'm a big fan so i really appreciate it sweet well uh, i really want to see what you do in your career i know that you've got a huge career ahead of you because your start has been a massive bang so really looking forward to having you on the show talking about work as you're putting it out into the world i look forward to it too thank you so much Everyone else, have a great week. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or any other episodes, please share them. Shout out the Pro Video Podcast on your social networks. It really helps, and I'd really appreciate it. So do that little thing for me. That'd be amazing. Come and join the Slack group and chat to myself and Aaron. And uh, till next week, have a good one, okay? All right, bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.